All right. So the video here obviously points out that uh, we all land in different places. Uh, and I, every day we're in a different place. I think the goal is to maybe be the last house and everything be perfect and da-da-da-da-da. But then there's other days we find ourselves maybe relating to one of the other houses. And that's okay. You know, the, the cool part about it is that actually God knew and Jesus knew in his teachings that there would be days where we relate to different parts of those houses. Sometimes we're maybe the blessed home that everything worked out well and we're happy. And then other days like, oh, it's falling apart. So he gives us some promises in scripture that we're going to talk about that he literally specifically says things about our households and how we can operate and what we can do uh, in our lives in terms of our household and raising families and, and just how we operate in marriages and stuff. And so a couple of things I want to point out is that God knew we'd be in different places. And so these promises... Literally, we can call things onto our home. We can literally pray things over our home and change our atmosphere. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4, we've been sharing this the last few weeks. It says this. It says, by wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Now, you could look at the scripture, and you could think about literally building a house. It's talking about building a house and understanding. But you could also look at it as building your home, building your the structure of your house and how you dwell and how you live. And it's saying by wisdom, a house is built and by understanding it is established. And so in order for us to call blessing into our homes and call the things that uh, we want in our homes, we, we got to gain wisdom on them. We got to find out and how does it work? How does it understand? And so that's why it's important for us to look into scripture and to gather together like this and, and have an understanding what God would say about our homes. And so there's promises about things that we can call onto our home. Luke chapter 10, verse five. He says this, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. So he's instructing them that literally when you go to enter a house, you can cast peace onto this house. If you have little ones, there's some days that you just have to throw peace everywhere. Like, oh gosh, you walk in this room, oh my, peace, peace, peace over here. Oh no, now it's over here, peace, peace, peace. And, uh, and, and we can all relate to that. And uh, so another translation of that Luke 10, it says, whenever you enter someone's house, first say, may God's peace be on this house. And so that's something that we can call onto our homes is peace. First Samuel 25, verse six, it says, say to him, long life to you, good health to you and to your household and good health to all that is yours. So again, another way of saying like, look, call, call good health, call good life, quality living into your homes. One translation says this, and thus you shall say, have long life, peace be to you and peace be to your house and the peace to all that you have. Matthew 6, says, but seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Joshua said this, as for me and my house, I'm going to choose to serve the Lord. And so he just had this mindset of like about our household, we're going to serve the Lord. I shared the last few weeks, there's oftentimes when you're growing up and you get in trouble and you, you know, you get in front of mom and dad or whatever. And they say, I can't believe you did that. That's not how this family operates, or that's not how we do. Why? Because you've set a culture in the household. You've set a way of how we do things. And um, it's important for us as Christians and Christ followers to say, what is that in our family? What is it? How are we going to operate? What are our God standards? And the scriptures here saying, seek first the kingdom. You put those first and righteousness first and all the other blessings will follow and be a part of your life. Amen. So even Joshua said, Hey, our family's going to serve the Lord. Matthew five, six said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. 
So the things that you need in your life, those things that you need filled and to be taken care of, it says, hey, hunger and thirst for the things of God. Make sure you're in pursuit of God instead of pursuit of keeping up with the Joneses and keeping up with all the things that the world says you need. You keep your eyes on God and you'll have all the things that you need filled in your life. Amen. And so wrapping up this series, this is actually our fifth week in this series. It's like, okay, how can we sort of put a lid on this and make it practical and take it home? And so I have three points that I sort of want to end this series with, and they're maintenance points. They're like, okay, we, we've heard some things the last few weeks, and, and maybe you agree with it, and maybe there's some of it you don't agree with, whatever, but you've taken some pieces from it, hopefully, and now you say like, okay, how can we put this in operation? Because you've heard me say that or often, the largest gap in the world is between what we know to do and what we actually do. So it's one thing to come to church and say, yeah, that's good. I agree with that and nod. But then it's a whole nother thing to actually take it and put it into place. And so for us, it comes down to maintenance. Like how are we going to put these tools in place to maintain these things in our life? And I thought about our natural lives. We maintain a lot of things. We say, hey, I have an understanding of this, and now I need to maintain it, or I need to work it, or I need to make sure it takes place. This time of the year, most of us, hopefully, maybe we've, we've done the yard maintenance that we need to do. We've pulled the weeds and done the things, and, and so we spend quite a bit of time maintaining. You know, you got the neighbors that are really into it, and they're always out there doing their stuff, and, and they're really into maintaining. And then there's other stuff that we do, like our cars. We, you know, we maintain our cars because it's important for it to operate at its highest level. We need to make sure that we're maintaining it and, and all those things. There's just lots of stuff that we put maintenance into, and um, it should be the same way when we consider our homes. God, I want this to be a blessed home and how we operate and how we function and how we exist in our marriage and with our kids and with our, our extended families, all this stuff. We want it to be blessed. We want our family to be blessed. It requires some maintenance. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, it says this, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. And actually the rest of that scripture, if you read on, it's literally talking about a covenant that was made with a guy that God is talking about how he's, he's going to honor this covenant. But I love this thought. It says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do it all in love. And I think about our lives, that's how we got to be. If we're talking about, okay, I want this to be a blessed home. I want this to be a house full of joy and love and grace and compassion. And we don't want strife to exist and unforgiveness and all those things. Then what do we need to be? We need to be on guard. We need to stand firm. We need to be standing firm in faith and courageous and be strong and fight and defend for the blessing on our homes. Amen? Because there's a lot of things that make their way to us that try to steal from us. You can turn on the TV, you can turn on the radio, you can pick up a phone call. There's all kinds of things that in a second can, can turn your day sideways. But if we have this mindset of no, blessing and peace and joy and compassion and grace and all of these things are what's going to reign in my house, I'm going to fight for those. Amen? So this household thing, God is into. And so I believe there's three key ways that we can sort of guard or we can maintain blessing on our home. And so for the next few minutes, we'll take a look at them. One very practical way that you can maintain and you can keep a blessing on your home is if you guard your words. Number one is guard your words. We kind of talked about it a little bit in this series, but I want to give you a new angle on it. One of the most important things you can do to keep blessing on your home is to watch or guard your words. Hebrews 11.3 says this. It says, by faith, we understand that the world, talking about the world that we live in, was framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made by things which were visible. 
So it's not like God took a little bit of this over here and formed it all and made it into this. It says that literally, we know what the scripture says in Genesis, that God spoke and here we are. Let there be light, let there be this, and he formed it. God formed the world with his words. But the scripture also says that we are to be imitators of God or act like God or be like God. Now we're not God, but we are to follow. We're imitators of God. And so that means that our worlds that we exist in and live in on a daily basis are framed by our what? Words. If God used words to, to create the world, then we use our words to create our world. So I don't know about, I don't know how I feel about that. Listen, what's on your tongue is in your future. What you speak now is in your weeks to come. Whatever you say, you're just speaking into your upcoming things. I don't know if I believe that. Go ahead and take a look. I mean, if you could rewind a few years back, the things that you said over your life, it's, you just have find a way into those. Why? Because God knows that there's power in our words. What we say and what we put into our atmosphere frames how we live. Proverbs chapter 18, 21 actually talks about this. It says, life and death is in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. So what, it, what it's saying is what you say, you have the ability to speak life or death into your atmosphere and, and there's power in that and whatever you speak, you're gonna have the fruit of it. So in our lives, we have to be very conscious about what we say and what we speak. Uh, that's why I get really irritated. I almost went on my rampage last week and I'm gonna save it this week. <laughs> that's why I have a really hard time with mommy blogs, like the little parenting blogs. Like, and, and look, listen, listen. I'm not looking down on anybody if you share one or post one or anything. They're fine. Read them. But here's my problem. So many times in our life, we just, oh my gosh, my kid's doing this. And we go online and we find a mommy blog that agrees with that. And then that becomes law. I found a mommy blog that says that that happens. And so my kid's one of those kids that's just going to walk on his ears. Like he's just going to learn to walk. Cause I don't know. That's a terrible example, but some crazy thing like, oh, I found another mommy blog that says that they're just going to do that. So that's what it is. Instead of us saying, hey, I'm having this situation with my kid or I have this struggle that I'm dealing with or I'm, and I'm going to turn to the word of God and see what God says about it for my life. Somebody say amen. And so we put more faith in what a mommy blog's got to say about our life than we do what a creator has to say about our life. Life and death is in the power of our tongue. Don't go on a mommy blog and say, because mommy blog 823 said that da, 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 da. I would worry more about what God has to say about our lives. Amen. Now, if you go and post a mommy blog, I'm not going to get on there and like, I'm not judging you. <clears throat> I'm just going to go on that blog and say terrible things about the author on their page. So no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> you guys can laugh a little. It's okay. But I'll quote scriptures is what I'll go on. No, I won't do that either. But you hear what I'm saying. My heart in it is this, is that we got to be careful about what we're speaking. Just because we can get somebody to agree with us on something doesn't make it law or life in your life. Amen? Like we got to look at what God says about it. And so be careful about what we speak and what we say over our kids and our finances and our family and our futures. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Now I realize I can't stand right here and say a million dollars and there'd be a million dollars. But we can take the laws and principles that God promised us through scripture and we can speak those into our life. And I promise you, you will see what God has promised you. Amen? Jeremiah 1-2, or uh, Jeremiah, and I kind of paraphrase this scripture, but Jeremiah 1-12 talks about how God watches over his word to perform it. So the things in scripture, God's, you literally have a God up there cheering for you, pulling for you, like, yeah, put these things in place. I'm just waiting for you to give me the sign. I'm waiting for you to give me the signal. Now, it doesn't happen like a magic genie, and sometimes it never happens. I've been at funerals that I stand and say, this should not have happened. And I'm not saying every time it's this and look, and, and that's reality that we deal with that. We're going to have to just have a conversation with God when we get to heaven. Amen. 
But if we can have this faith that I have a God, a creator who created all of this, but also today is up in heaven saying, hey man, tell me when to pull the trigger. I want to act on your behalf. Amen? And so the power of our words, we got to put that into existence. Some of you say, yeah, but you don't, you don't understand my home. To talk about having a blessed home, I'm like, God, you don't understand how far away we are from that. The good thing is God does understand how far away you can be from that and not in a judgmental way. He's not angry up there ready to throw lightning bolts. He's up there saying, hey, tag me in. Get me in this game. Get me in this game. And uh, Romans 4.17, nothing phases God. Uh, it says that God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they were. Even if your life feels dead and it's never going to come together and it's never going to work out, you serve a God who can say, hey, it seems dead, but I can find a way to make a way. Somebody say amen. We don't have to just read the next you know, Oprah book or self-help book or this next whatever. We got we to gotta connect in with the God who created you and understands how you works. And the scripture says that he knows before you were born you, how you were fearfully and wonderfully made in all the days of your life he has numbered. He knows every hair in your head. God knows how to help you live in a place that is a blessed home, amen? I love this translation. The word in that scripture, it says that God calls those things which do not exist as though they were. So a peaceful home, it's not there now but we can call it as if it is and we can start speaking it into existence. The translation for that calls those things is shout out loud or boldly. He calls things with confidence. Though they're not there now, they can get there and he does it in a confident way. Amen? Number two, our actions. And we all know this, like, oh, of course our actions determine if we have a blessed home or not. But the old saying says, you win or you lose by the way that you choose. I think a lot of times in a really busy day, it's just, I've had a crazy day. And, and we just justify our actions. We just had this crazy day. Uh, <laughs> had a fun joke with Jess last night. Uh, we had a dance recital. Caroline was at the uh, school. She had a dance recital and she did her little uh, routine from her dance class. And so, you know, busy day, active all day or whatever. And she was up way late past her bedtime. And so Jess goes down, puts her to bed. Okay, you're going to bed, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, she's going to bed. And so we say all the good nights. And then we hear the pitter patter. Like, oh, here she comes, you know, whatever. And so I meet her in the hallway because if she gets to our bedroom, then she's already won. She's at the bed. You, you know what I'm talking about. So I cut her off at the head. I'm like, hey, let's go back to your bed, you know? It's be so fun. Peter Pan's down there. We got a little Peter Pan. And uh, let's go down there. You don't want to make, he'll be, he'll cry. He'll be alone. It'll be awful. Captain Hook, will come get him in the window. And she's like, oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't go that far. But uh, so anyway, so, so I cut her off and I pick her up. And she's like, but daddy, I want to sleep with you. And uh, what's funny is we tell her about our bed that there's not enough room. Oh, see, that's mommy's spot. That's daddy's spot. There won't be enough room. And so she has Peter Pan and she just got Tinkerbell at the dance recital. And she has... Um, the little guy from the cartoon Home, the purple alien guy, uh, whatever his name is. Oh, so her bed's getting pretty full. And so I'm holding her, like, hey, we got to go back to your bed. Says, There's no room. Peter Pan, Tinkerbell does the, <laughs> tries to hit me with that. I was like, oh. So, so, okay. But no, she's like, and so she tells me, I won't sleep on your pillow. I'll sleep on mommy's pillow. <laughs> like, I won't. <laughs> so, no, come on, we got to go down. And then Jess says, it's okay. You can sleep on my pillows. Like, oh, like we caved. <laughs> said, Jess, that was a mommy fail. Like you failed, parenting fail. You get the, and then Jess said, well, you failed a lot of other things, which means <laughs> candy and like a lot of other things is she is right about. So 
Anyway, busy day, like all this stuff, we just justify actions. And those are just a fun story of like how we, oh, whatever. But a lot of times, like in our actions, you know, we'll, we'll compromise and we'll let that happen or we'll act this way. But you win or lose by the way that you choose. That scripture said, we got to be on guard and we have to stand strong about how we act because the scripture, you know, and we'll talk about it here in a minute, but you win or lose by the way that you choose. There's a story of a redwood seed, which they're the largest trees out, uh, most of them in California, but the redwood tree starts out with a seed, which is one three thousandths of an ounce. That's what it weighs. But if you were to plant that tree and it were to grow to its fullest potential, there's one of them called the General Sherman. It's in California. It stands 275 feet tall. It's the largest tree in the world in sheer mass. So the, the less than one three thousandths of an ounce seed turned into a tree that if you cut it, it would make 20 three-bedroom homes out of one tree. The world's tallest redwood tree is 367 feet tall. It's five stories taller than the Statue of Liberty. And Jesus referred to our decisions as planting seed. Why? Because there's potential in our actions and in our decisions, how we make choices, plant seeds, and those seeds grow. And so it's important for us to win or lose by the way that we choose. We have to make sure that we're planting the right seed. Somebody say amen. Now, it's never going to be perfect, but we got to be aware about, hey, did I make a decision? Did I plant a seed that, that I shouldn't let start growing? I messed up and I blew it over here and this wasn't right. I need to go back and dig that thing up. Somebody say amen and make sure that that doesn't grow into something bigger. Amen. We can't just let everything into our home. We have to guard our actions. I thought about our lives. Everything that, that exists in our home, we have to watch our actions. We've got to guard what we let into our homes. What you call entertainment can also be mindset forming for our children. Amen. That went over great, right? So, <laughs> and I'm not talking about we all got to watch G movies and nobody can ever turn. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you're talking about guarding and standing firm in the faith about the things that you're trying to protect about your home, you need to watch the decisions that you're making about some of the things that you allow into your home. Amen. And some of the way that we speak and some of the things that we say and watch and hear because those things grow. Now, I'm not the kind of pastor that's like, Let's get up there and get them and beat them and we'll teach them how wrong they're doing. Because we read a scripture like, hey, uh, you know, watch what you're planting. Because, but it works the other way. Life and death, you know, power of the tongue, all this kind of stuff. And we talk about the negative. But there's promise in it too. If you win or lose by the way that you choose, that means you can also win by the way that you choose. A lot of people always focus on the negative. You're going to be a loser because you're going to screw it up and it's not going to be good. But you can win too by the way that you choose. Amen. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. And how many of you have heard that in a negative manner? Just be careful what you sow. God's not mocked. He's going to get, but guess what? God is not deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will reap. So when you are sowing the things of God and positive things, God's not mocked. He's going to see you through. Our cool. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 says, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury or the collection plate, or however you would hear that, and saw how the people put money into it, and many who were rich put in much. Verse 42, but the poor widow woman came, threw in two mites, which made a fraction of a penny, so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, assuredly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given. 
For they put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. God honors little efforts with large rewards. If you do that the best that you can, even if it's what you feel like is insignificant, God honors that and grows that into something big. That redwood seed example applies to our decisions and how we live, even with just the best that we can do. Amen? I'll close with this. I thought about this church. Lauren, you can come play if you would. My third point in talking about having a blessed home is we have to be intentional about blessing our second home. It's like, I didn't know. I, I didn't know I had a second home. I didn't know. I haven't been paying taxes on that. I'm probably going to be in some trouble. But you have to be intentional about blessing your second home. What is your second home? You're in it. This is your second home. This is the house of God. If you call Vertical Church your home, if you call Vertical Church your place, uh, and even if you are connected to another church, uh, the church of God, the house of God, should be our second home. It should be a place that we come and we speak blessing and we speak life over. And the scripture says in these last days, we should gather together even more than we have before. Why? To encourage one another and love on one another and, and, and all those blessings that come with being around each other. Now, if you're in here, you say, yeah, but I've had a rough go in some churches. Me too. Yeah, but like, I, I think I'm kind of over it. I'm, I'm over it. Well, you're the pastor. How are you over it? I'm over it because those experiences were not the way that God designed it. And so we can leave those back there. And I'm not going to live my life driving in the rearview mirror. I'm going to live my life looking ahead through the windshield of where I'm actually going, not where I've been. Amen. Think if I left this parking lot and drove just looking in my rearview mirror, it'd be a crash. So many people of us, we live our lives that way. Well, I had this thing happen and it's going to cause a crash in your life. So don't let shortcomings of other people and other things cause you to miss the beauty of this home, of your home. And I'm not saying that just because you enter a church building makes you a part of the family. No, there's all kinds of ways that you can be a part of the kingdom of God. But what I'm saying is, like the scripture says, hey, don't miss out on coming together and gathering together with one another and calling blessing onto the house of God and connecting with one another and encouraging one another. Amen? Because here's the deal. We need you. Not vertical church. Not The kingdom of God needs you. The kingdom of God needs you. The next generation really needs you. Check this out about teenagers. Currently, right now, teenage statistics, one-third of every teenager in America, one third of every teenager in America will have gotten drunk in the last month. One out of every four will have some type of, some type of encounter with an STD. One million are currently pregnant. Half are no longer virgins. 1,500 commit suicide every year. That's more than murder each other. That's more than homicide. Right now, teenagers listen to about 40 hours of music or radio a week. 42% of the top selling albums are labeled explicit. So the input that they're putting into their lives is labeled explicit. Those thought patterns, those things that are consuming. Remember we talked about seek first and everything else. What they're putting first in their life is not righteousness in the things that God is saying should be a part of their life. This year, teenagers will view 19,000 sexual scenarios on TV. Teenagers spend 55 hours a week in front of a screen. Parents, you get them for 22 minutes a day, which if we rounded that up only equals three hours a week. 
So they're getting 55 hours of influence from either a computer screen, a tablet, a TV, whatever screen they're in front of is 55 hours a week. And you get to defend that or combat that with three hours a week. We have to be conscious of how can we create an atmosphere where we're coming around this next generation and putting our arm and loving them and connecting them and showing them that there's better than what they see. Amen. Every 6.7 scenes on TV are sexual. The average first time sexual encounter happens at age 12. The first time exposure to pornography is age 10. The largest consumer of internet pornography is teenagers age 12 to 17. There are 2.5 billion pornographic emails sent a day. Viacom, who owns most all TV channels, says that 84% of their efforts are spent and marketed towards people under the age of 23. So all those scenes, all those scenarios, all those things, they're all targeted towards a generation. We have to be an atmosphere, step in and come in and build a house that's blessed, a house of God that's walking in grace and compassion and love and forgiveness and acceptance and non-judgment. We have to build a place like that so that when they come in, we say, hey, there's a better way. Not, hey, you're wrong. Hey, you're not good enough. Hey, you're not. It's, hey, like Jesus did. Hey, come with me while I. You're good enough. He said to a tax collector and he said to all these others who by the world standard weren't good enough. Hey, come with me while I. You're good enough the way that you are. We're going to love you. You can be a part of what we're doing. Acts chapter two, verse 17. It says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy or speak of the things of God. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. We have to work together on this. We have to stretch our hands towards dedication of the little ones. But then teenagers also have to stretch their hands to the older generations and say, hey, let's dream together. Let's speak of the things of God together. Let's build a blessed home of multiple generations. That way we can have an influence and a connection and an impact on our community. Somebody say amen. The scripture promises that he'll empty himself. All of it. God's going all in, all dice in these last days with all the crazy that's going on. He's saying, look, I'm pushing everything in. I got the best hand. I'm going to win here. I'm emptying all that I have. It's on your plate. Now let's work together all generations and see a move of God in our community. Amen. This generation needs to see you worshiping God in the house of God. We need to create a blessed home, a blessed atmosphere, a blessed house of God where they see you worshiping. They see you serving. They see you giving. They see you praying. They see you in acts of kingdom of God type stuff. We can't sit on the sidelines any longer. We need to take it seriously. Somebody say amen. Ecclesiastes 4.9. But two are better than one. If one falls down, his friends can pick him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We need each other. This generation needs you. You need them. We all need each other in this. We have to stop competing with each other and keeping up with the Joneses and writing all these lines where we separate each other and segregate each other. We got to learn to come together because it's better if we're together. Three strands are not easily broken. Could it be that maybe we're talking about your family the house of God and God, what are the three strands? 
that's a pretty powerful strand if, if you're talking about your family, your church, and your God together could do pretty great things. Amen? We have to connect. We have to do more. I thought about it like this. We're so much into this idea of working together that literally our kids' curriculum. So all the kids that we just talked about, we got together on a curriculum that we're participating in. It's called Orange. And the idea is that you take red and you take yellow, one representing the church, one representing the home. And if we merge those two together, it makes orange. Because the philosophy is it takes both. It takes home and it takes church. It takes, uh, it takes us coming together and encouraging each other. We are sold out to this as a church. Why are you talking about it so much right now? It's child dedication. You're here because you have a heart for the next generation and to see families blessed and to see blessing on our home. Nobody picks up a newborn and says, you know, I hope that kid really grows up in a rough home. No, we say, we want the best for that little one. We want blessing on that life. We want blessing on that home. How are we going to do it? It's when we connect and work together and put our hand to the plow and we don't look back. Somebody say amen. There's too much hurt in the world that a hug could heal. We say, oh, I got to get my doctrine right and I got to do this and it's got to be this big thing. No one would ever leave these doors. If you came in, you gave them a good smile and everyone was friendly, no one would ever leave these doors and say, not going back there. Everybody's just too friendly. It's way too much love there. I just, I don't know. I felt too good when I was there. No, let's be a, like a hug, a high, a high five, a handshake, just connecting with somebody, noticing them will make a huge difference. You don't have to have it all put together, but just be somebody who cares. First Corinthians 9.19 talks about this. For though I was free from all men, I made myself a servant to all so that more might have salvation. Free to do whatever you want. You're free to do whatever you want. But the fact that we can pick up the plow and we can put our hand to the plow and we can consider the next generation and the now generation and we can work together so that more might have salvation. Verse 23, and I do all these things for the cause of the good news so that I may have part in it. This world needs some more good news. Somebody say amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? I know I get a little intense when I talk about this stuff. But it's the only way I believe we're going to fix what's broken in this world. It's not going to come through government. It's not going to come through whatever. It's when the church of God across the country and across the world takes their place the way that God designed us and called us to live. I believe it will heal the brokenness. Bill Hybels, a pastor in Chicago, says he believes that the church is the hope of the world, meaning the body of Christ, the cause or the call of God on all our lives is the hope of the world. It's the hope to bring healing and restoration to the pain that we see nightly on the news, right? We can be that. So today, before you leave, we're going to just pray a prayer. We'll pray a couple of prayers, but, but before we leave, I want to just sort of have a moment of reflection where we say, hey, God, how can I help participate in calling blessing either on your own home or your church home or your extended family, whatever it is, but standing guard, being strong in your faith and protecting what God has allowed you to be a part of in your life. Amen. Why don't you all bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in here this morning, you say, man, Pastor Josh, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm not really walking with God right now. I haven't really made a commitment for the things of God or I'm not even a Christian or maybe I once was a Christian, but I've kind of stepped away. And today you want to make a commitment for the things of God. I'm not going to have you leave your seat. I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you or anything like that. But if you're here 
The scripture says that you can pray a prayer and you can have an acknowledgement in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And the scripture says that you can be saved. It says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It also says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that you're saved. Eternity is in heaven and he'll forgive you of your sins. And so again, not gonna call you forward or embarrass you. All I'm gonna ask you to do is to raise your hand when I count to three and we'll all pray this prayer together right in your seat. Um, But here's the thing. It's about your heart. It's about God seeing that connection and hearing that prayer. And so don't get caught up on, you know, what it looks like or how it sounds or just make that heart connection, that identification of God. I, I want to change. I want to I want to put my eyes on you and walk towards you. And God will start that blessing in your home. So with nobody looking around, if you're in here and you say, yeah, lead me in that prayer, the salvation prayer, or the sinner's prayer is what some might call it. But if that's you and I count to three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you. See that hand? Anybody else? Awesome. Anybody else? Jump in on this. All right. I see that hand. Anybody else? We'll take just a minute. I see that too. Right on. Cool. You can all put your hands down. Lots of you in here. So let's do this. When we pray, it's the most important prayer that you can pray. So just know that right when we're done praying, when we hit that amen and amen and you say amen, it's the start of incredible change. We talked about how God watches over his word to perform it. He's going to start interacting. He's going to, you'll watch, you just watch this week. You'll start seeing God moments show up all over your life because you're putting him first. So I'll pray this with me. Say, God, today I choose you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Today I choose to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.